This is Inside the Writer's Head with Jessica Strasser, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton Counties 2019 Writer in Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer in Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Jessica Strasser. Hi, everyone. This is your writer-in-residence, Jessica Strasser. I am here today with fellow Ohio-based novelist, Kristen Lapionka. Kristen is the author of the award... Hello! (laughs) Sorry, I I wasn't sure if I was supposed to say hello. No, say hello. Hi, Kristen. Hi! (laughs) Kristen is the author of the award-winning Roxanne Weary Mystery Series, um, which has been widely hailed as rebooting and expanding the hard-boiled genre thanks to, in the words of true crime addicts James Renner, it's, quote, private eye with little concern for her own safety or the gender of her shifting sexual partners. Her 2017 debut, The Last Place You Look, won the Seamus Award for Best First PI Novel and was also nominated for Anthony and McCavity Awards. Her follow-up, What You Want to See, hit shelves last summer and is also beginning to rack up nominations as we go into Mystery Awards season this year. Congrats, Kristen. Thank you. And new this July is the page-turning third installment called The Stories You Tell. And all three are from the well-known Macmillan mystery imprint Minotaur Books. Uh, Kristen's writing has been selected for Shotgun Honey, McSweeney's Internet Tendency, which is how you know she's super funny. Grift and Black Elephant, and she lives in Columbus with her partner and two cats. Kristen, thanks for making the time to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad to be chatting with you today. So just to kind of fill everyone else in, uh, Kristen and I met through a group called 17 Scribes, which was basically uh, a group of strangers who all had the one thing in common that we had our first novels coming out in 2017. Yes. And we were the only two in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of sad, but also awesome because. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I was relieved to not be the only one. Right. <laughs> yeah, it would be lonely if uh, to be the only one. But the group was really awesome in terms of like having a a place to sort of talk about this very specific moment in our careers, because in general, like people who aren't writers don't understand publishing um, and people who aren't getting ready to debut their novels don't necessarily understand all the emotions that go along with that. So having a group of people who were right there with you was absolutely amazing. It really was. And, you know, it's been a few years out and certainly some people have dropped off, but there's still, you know, a core group of authors who are still supporting each other as we go into our second and third releases. And it's been really valuable and nice to be able to keep those connections. Absolutely. Uh, And the group is big enough that there's like someone in there has the answer to pretty much any question that you might have. Yeah, Yeah, for any writers who happen to be listening. So in my job as writer in residence here, I end up counseling a lot of writers. I have monthly office hours at the Sharonville Branch Library, and I do free workshops here in town. And So for any of those writers who are listening, I would totally recommend trying to find some kind of community of people who share the stage of writing that you're at, whether whether you're querying, drafting your first draft, you know, whether it's a group of writers who are just getting started in your genre or 
all the way up to having something in common, like having your first books coming out. It's just really valuable to have that support network. It totally is. And like writing can be a very isolated pursuit. Um, And certainly like a lot of the work that we do, like it has to take place either, if not like in your own office, inside your own head, but it's so valuable to have people who get it. Like it makes all the difference in the world to, to be understood in that way. And you sort of had that, did you sort of had that experience a little bit coming up through Pitch Wars? Yes, correct. Could you you kind of let people know um, what that is in case they're interested in pursuing that? Uh, Sure. So I always describe Pitch Wars as kind of like that NBC show, The Voice, except for writing and also not on television. Um, But basically, (laughs) it's the opportunity to, to, like work with a mentor for a very intense period of revisions on your novel. It's like two or three months long, or actually might be a little longer now, but basically like you submit the first chapter of a completed manuscript and people who are currently writers or editors or, um, I think writers and editors, mostly people who either have agents or have book deals or are like in a professional capacity as an editor, review all of the submissions and choose one person that they'd like to work with. And then you basically have like an expert on speed dial while you go through revisions. And it was like a truly life-changing experience for me because at the point at which I entered Pitch Wars, like I had heard about it on Twitter a few years previous and I had never entered before because I never and had. Whole a- thing, does the whole thing start on Twitter? Um, the whole thing started, yeah, pretty much on Twitter. So Brenda Drake is a young adult author who is the founder of Pitch Wars. And she she's also the founder of uh, Pit Mad, the Pitch Madness yeah. pitching party thing. So she's really big into like helping emerging writers. So Pitch Wars was a thing that she started after I think she was inspired by the show Cupcake Wars. Um, obviously, all of us writers watch a ton of television. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so she started this in like 20... 12 or something. And then, um, so in 2015, I actually had a manuscript that I had just finished that was like actually ready to go. And I thought, "Mm, why not? And so I, you know, said, I'm, I'm going to apply for this. And then I actually went into the application process and there was like a form that you had to fill out as you do when you're applying for things. And the form was like, it's kind of long. And I was the, the amount of confidence I had at that moment in my writing was like, I don't know if filling out this long form is actually worth it. Uh, So it was kind of like, I didn't have a ton of confidence, but I made myself fill out the long form and I was selected by Kelly Garrett, who is the brilliant author of the Detective by Day series, starting with Hollywood Homicide. She's also the founder of our 17 Scribes group. Uh, So Kelly picked me and that was sort of like, the moment where everything changed for me because it was like, wow, someone thinks that I can write. And I mean, we, we face tons of rejection as writers and it's, it, it's hard not to internal, internalize it, right? Like you keep getting yeah. told you're not good enough. And you're like, I'm not. Um, so getting selected for Pitch Wars like was a huge confidence booster for me. And I honestly was like, the fact that I've been chosen for Pitch Wars is like, good enough whatever else happens from here it's fine because I I got this but then I also wound up finding my literary agent immediately after pitch wars like literally days afterwards and within about six weeks from that my 
new agent had sold my book. So like publishing moves really, really slowly until it doesn't. And then it moves really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, But Pitch Wars is really the thing that opened all this up for me. And part of that is the having that community, having a mentor, but also having other people who are going through revisions at the same time. So just like having a, a group of core writer friends is really amazing in terms of feeling less alone and like you can just feel very like this is such a weird thing that I'm doing I keep like emailing my work to people who tell me they don't like it (laughs) why do I keep doing this but um when you have people who are right there with you it's like it makes you feel a lot better less like a glutton for punishment right um, (laughs) exactly (laughs) but I think it's funny that you know you likened it to the voice because I really do think you know when I watch that show I'm always just amazed by how much talent is out there. Oh, like yeah. Everyone who gets on the stage, you know, it, was, it wasn't quite this way at the beginning, but now that there are, you know, however many seasons in, it seems like everyone who gets on the stage is amazing. I mean, half the time I think those people are better singers than people who are actually on the radio, you know right. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's... realize how much is out there. And I think Pitch Wars is the same way. They have so many success stories. I mean, you being one of them, such a talented writer. And, you know, thank goodness for these competitions, but it also does make you realize how many, how much talent there is out there that has not broken through yet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, even, even with going through the Pitch Wars system where you make a lot of great connections and sort of get um it's like i mean pitch is not a guarantee to finding an agent of course but it really like helps the success rate for people in pitch wars is a lot higher than just among querying writers but like even among people who do find success in pitch wars like you you just know that there is so much like luck involved because everybody is incredibly talented um, and so the thing that finally gets someone's attention might be completely out of your control. And you just really have to like know that going in that like you're competing against not competing, but you're, you know, fighting for time against other incredibly talented people, um, which is like exciting. Cause that means there's like a lot of good art that's going to come our way eventually. Right. Exactly. And yeah, so I want to move on from this so we can make sure that we can talk about your work. But before we do, I do want to say to you, I know as you do, um, I've had the opportunity to meet and work with um, Brenda Drake, who founded Pitch Wars, and Kelly Garrett, who has um, taken over um, a lot of the work with Pitch Wars since then. And they're just such amazingly generous writers with their time. I mean, uh, yes. the whole the whole contest is really just set up by writers wanting to help other writers um, get discovered. So if you're out there and you're, you're, you think you're going to be ready to pitch your work soon, it's definitely worth looking into um, and just huge kudos to those, to Brenda and Kelly for making that happen for you and so many other. <laughs> oh yeah. Writers. Yes. They don't have tons of fans out here. <laughs> yes, exactly. So let's talk about um, Roxanne Weary. who drive various. I love her so much. She's she's such a unique, memorable, gripping character. Um, where did she come from? <laughs> well, so I um, have loved mystery series my whole life, like the sort of um, private investigator or police procedural type series where you're following the same detective character across many different mysteries. So 
uh, in terms of like the books that I sort of have loved the most in my life, they've all been this idea of a series. Like it's a really cool opportunity to tell like one story in a book, but also a long story with a, a long character arc over a series. It's a, a really sort of interesting way to watch characters grow. But um, having and loved... Did you, did you always conceive of her as a... Was your hope always that this would become a series? Or when you first started writing her, was it just one one novel to start? Um, I always hoped that it would be a series. Um, when you're a writer who is not published and does not think you'll ever be published, a series doesn't really mean anything. But um, just that I have always thought that she would be a good character to follow through different types of cases. Um, and so I knew that I wanted to create a character like that, like these other books that I had read and loved. But there were like a few things about the sort of mystery private investigator genre that has always bugged me a little bit um and I wanted to kind of like write the book that I always wanted to read if that makes sense so yeah. so what you and what makes Roxanne so awesome okay well so Roxanne is um she lives in Columbus Ohio which is where I live so one thing that I always sort of thought when I was reading these books is um why aren't they ever set in the Midwest? Like they might be set in Chicago, but nothing's ever yeah. set in kind of the smaller cities in the Midwest. So I wanted to write a character that was set here or based here. I, I also wanted to write um, a bisexual character because in terms of inclusivity, the mystery genre is pretty far behind the curve of even of publishing, mm-hmm. um, which kind of moves slower than society. So, you know, mysteries are very yes. overwhelmingly, um, straight, usually straight male characters are the ones who get to be private investigators. And of course there are, there are many examples of fabulous, um, female private eyes written by women, of course, but specifically, um, queer women set in the Midwest sort of treated in with the same, like allowed to be complex and difficult the way male characters are. I really wanted to like do this thing that I had always been looking for and I hadn't quite found. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted Roxanne to be sort of an infuriating person that you can't help but root for. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted her to be like messy and make a ton of mistakes, but be so smart when it comes to solving other people's problems. Um, And I really wanted to make her have like a, a sort of cynical witty voice but also um have it be a grittier book than a lot of like the comic mysteries that are out there so those were kind of the things that I um kept in mind as I was writing her and I also sort of a main thing about her is I wanted to write realistic relationships with men and women since she is bi and I wanted to write about um her struggles with alcohol because there are about one million male characters who are described as hard drinking um, and that's not the sort of treatment that is given to female characters nearly as often. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just kind of jump in there and uh, play around with all of those different characteristics. So as you write her, you know, from one book to the next, you you just published your third. Mm-hmm. Um, would she? Would you say that she is still changing and growing for you, or is she just kind of becoming more firmly herself? Um, I think that she is becoming more firmly herself. Like as I'm writing her, like I'm getting 
the experience of writing her, but also she as a character is like getting older and she's having the experiences that she goes through in the book. And so I think that, you know, she is like, she is changing in the sense that like she is maturing a little bit and is maybe slightly less of a disaster than she was in the first book in terms of her personal life and her coping mechanisms. Um, She's still kind of a mess. She's not the type of person that anyone would ever say like, wow, that Roxanne really has her life together. Like that's not her at all. But um, I think she continually makes space for other people in her life and some of them have a good influence on her. Uh, so in that way, she does sort of keep evolving, but like the, the person at the middle of her uh, is very much the same and just continues to become stronger to me as I write her more. And I guess we're getting more distance from kind of some of the things that helped make her who she was too, because in your, in your debut, um, the last place you look, she is pretty freshly grieving the death of her father, who was a police officer. Correct. Uh, he was shot and killed in the line of duty, and um, this he was a person that she had a really difficult relationship with, uh, which, like, grieving for someone that you had a great relationship with is hard enough, but grieving someone that you had a kind of a tumultuous relationship with can be even more complicated because it sort of slams the door on the idea of ever having, you know, worked out your problems and having a good relationship. So, you know, with her father having died, Roxanne is forever the person who had a fucked up relationship with her father and like she can't do anything about it. Like that's just how it is now. So, you know, part of her grieving has been like making peace with the sort of person that he was making peace with the fact that she's a lot like him, even though she didn't like him in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of sort of complicated yeah. feelings that she has about that. And she's not a cop, but she is a private investigator. She's sort of following in his footsteps in a different kind of more rogue way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So- Roxanne sort of, she, like, I think she wanted to be as different from her father as possible, and yet the thing that made him a good cop is the thing that makes her unable to really do any other profession except be an investigator because she's just, like, sort of nosy and driven in a very specific way that doesn't really lend itself well to other professions. She thought she wanted to be a psychologist, but being, like, nosy and needing to have answers and needing to know how things turn out doesn't really go with psychology, which is about exploration, not necessarily answers. So um, she sort of happened into being a private investigator when her original plan didn't work out. And it's a thing that like, it annoys her that she's, that people think she's like her father, but she also knows that she's like him. And given that, you know, he's gone, she's like left to be the one to, carry on that sort of personality within the family. And there's a lot of stuff for her to think about in that respect. So let's talk about your new book, The Stories You Tell. I guess as much as we've talked about um, developing Roxanne through the series, we should tell people, you can totally start with this book. Yes. You've never read Kristen before. Each one is completely its own story. Certainly there are little kind of things that you'll understand the nuances of if you read the earlier stories, but you could totally just pick this book up if you've never read it before. Yes, absolutely. The the 
plot is um, like it's like self-contained. It's um, it, this series isn't like a trilogy where you have to read all of the books to get the full story. Like each each book is its own story, so you can step into the stories you tell without having read the other books and and totally be caught up by the end of page one. Um, so yeah. So can you tell our listeners a little bit in your own words what this book's central mystery is and uh, how you got the idea for it? Sure. So um, this book starts with Roxanne getting a phone call with one of her brothers, Andrew. Um, she's got two brothers. Andrew is someone that she has a really good relationship with. And so he gives her a call in the middle of the night to tell her about something really strange that just happened to him. He had uh, a visit from a woman that he used to know came to his house in the middle of the night. She was really upset, freaked out, begged to use his phone, um, used his phone and then ran off. And he's kind of like worried and not sure what's going on. And so he asks Roxanne if like she can sort of figure out what was behind that and make sure this woman is okay. Um, he doesn't know her last name, so it's not as easy as you know him just <laughs> looking her up on Facebook. Like uh, he only knows her first name. So um that's why he brings Roxanne in. So Roxanne, and Roxanne figures it out right away. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so she, she figures out who this person is, tries to track her down and uncovers a lot of strange things that have been going on in, in her life. She, uh, she's not home. It's not clear if she's been home since her visit to Andrew's house or not. She had had a visit from a cop to the house recently uh, and then after not too long, the cop who had come to her home to talk to her about something, he winds up uh, being discovered dead. And some people who worked with this woman at a nightclub where she worked as a DJ are also sort of nowhere to be found. And it's not clear what exactly is going on. And uh, so Roxanne really gets involved in trying to figure out what happened to this woman and how it might relate to her brother because the, the the key thing to remember here is when she went to his house to use his phone she called her father and told him where she was uh, which was at Andrew's house and then suddenly she's gone and so the police have got questions and Andrew is looking at some you know a bad situation as far as the police go and it's a, a really a story about Roxanne figuring out how to solve the mystery and also get her brother out of trouble. And in, in all three of your books, really, there's, there's like the, there's a central case that Roxanne is investigating, but there are also all these little subplots and kind of red herrings that you don't know whether they're going to pan out to be something or not. In this book, we have lots of things that feel very ripped from current trends. Like uh, we have some knockoff, some counterfeit designer leggings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Scandalous. Yeah. There's, yes. Scandalous. There's a dating app um, specific to Columbus that people have been, you know, there's some shady activity going on. How do you keep everything straight? I know you to be a very, you're a very fast and furious drafter, right? Yes, I am. Um, I, I do kind of a loose outline so that I stay mostly on track, but a lot of the nuances really sort of happen while I'm in the process of drafting. Um, there's a lot of just like going back and making sure all the details fit. I wish I had a more useful or 
um, easily repeatable <laughs> process that I could talk about or use myself, but it was really just like, okay, it's time to write the book. Let's get going. Um, and then, you know, once I get through to the end of the story, there's a lot of rereading and tweaking individual details, but it's really hard for me to see how everything is going to shake out until I'm kind of in the middle of it. Cause I think a, lo a lot of the magic really happens when I'm actively writing. Um, and when I've tried to sort of plan things out in detail in advance, I always end up scrapping everything that I planned. Sorry. So, <laughs> I just like feel simultaneously better about my own messy process and also just kind of in awe of how your brain works because I mean, there's a lot going on in these novels, but it always comes together. Uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad that it, um, it, it feels that way to you as a reader, <laughs> because as a writer, I'm always like, I hope this stuff comes together. <laughs> <laughs> what are your interactions? Like, I know, you know, we both set our novels in our backyards. Um, and I've visited with a lot of book clubs and uh, I, this year I'm visiting with a lot of library branch book clubs also um, in the course of this writer in residence position. Um, and it's it's so fun talking with local readers who have yes. identified with things in the stories. Is it the same for you? What are your interactions like with readers in Columbus who can recognize, you know, the places that you're writing about and the little kind of Easter eggs that you hide for them? Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's so awesome to talk with people who know the area because they'll, you know, people think it's really cool to read about a place that they've actually been and that's something that like because we don't have a ton of books that wind up set in our region we don't get that the way people who live in other cities do so it's and, I think, like, and you and I have both had our books published in the UK mm -hmm. as well yeah. so I think sometimes people think that might be really limiting and people will ask me like well do people read you outside of Ohio and I'm like oh yeah oh like, yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it to in general I don't know that the setting matters to readers who aren't familiar with the place it's set in like I you know it's not like Ohio readers only read books that are set in Ohio or you know people who live in New York wouldn't read a book that's set in a small town like of course not a good story is a good story and um, people will read that no matter where they live or whether they've even heard of the place or not although it's really interesting because um, when I was over in the UK doing some promotion for my first book, I was at a crime writing festival called uh, Harrogate and several people in like people who are British came up to me to tell me that they, for whatever reason had been to Columbus, Ohio, which like, I just always found so fascinating. Like why, how uh, <laughs> it had mostly to do with Ohio state, of course. Um, but uh, it was just really interesting that like, even that far from home, um, people were sort of feeling that familiarity with the setting, but it definitely is not required. I don't think for people to really get into a series um, if they like the storytelling and the voice. And people here in Cincinnati should watch for you too, because you occasionally come to town. You're usually here for books by the banks. Correct. Yep. Fall. I'll be there this year again. Yay. Yes. Um, and once in a while you'll make an appearance at Joseph Beth here in town as well. Yes. Um, and while we're talking about it, I also want to give a shout out to your parents. <laughs> you are amazing because wherever you are, uh, they are there as well. <laughs> it is so true. They're my biggest fans for sure. Um, 
They yeah, are very supportive. They've also been, we've done some events together and they've been wonderfully supportive of my books as well, just by association. They're just such lovely people. They really are. They're, they're incredibly supportive and so excited for me that like this sort of like ridiculous seeming dream that I always had to be a writer like is happening. Um, and I don't have any siblings, so I'm the the recipient for all of their parental enthusiasm and pride. <laughs> and you, um, you co-host your own podcast, which is called Unlikable Female Characters. Um, yes. I love that hook for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's been. Yeah. Can you explain um, why that is the hook um, for people who don't automatically know exactly why that's the hook, <laughs> as I do? Well, sure. Um, and who, who your fellow co-hosts are and why our listeners might want to tune in. Absolutely. So I co-host the podcast with two other mystery thriller writers, Wendy Hurd, who's the author of Hunting Annabelle, and Lane Fargo, who's the author of Temper, which just came out at the beginning of July. So good. That book is yeah. so oh, good. So good. So good. Um, and so they are um, also involved in the pitch wars, which is how we met. And the podcast really just came out of a conversation we were having about, um, you know, the way female characters are expected to be a certain type of, a certain type of person in order to be likable. And which is much the same as like in real life, you know, a woman is supposed to be uh, nice. She's supposed to be sexually attractive, but like not slutty. She's supposed to, you know, be accommodating and motherly and all of these things that there are all these ex expectations put on women and um, women who don't conform to that idea are labeled as unlikable, which is um, kind of a, a funny word when you think about it, because it's not like, uh, it's, it sort of implies not only not only do I not like this person, but this person is not capable of being liked by anyone. It's a very like a uh, harsh statement yet it gets thrown about all the time in, in fiction, um, in politics where a woman who is strong and speaking her mind is labeled as like, you know, shrill or a harridan. Like it's just the way women are treated is not cool. So we wanted to start a podcast to really sort of air all of these grievances um, as they pertain to the books we love to read. Uh, we, we do interviews with other writers. We talk about um, books and films that do a good job of showing complicated women. And when we, when we call our podcast unlikable female characters, it's like, we're kind of reclaiming that word unlikable. We're not saying that the women that we like to read about are bad characters. We're saying they have sort of fallen victim to this label that is not really very accurate, but gets put on any woman who is the least bit dif difficult or complex or anything other than, you know, sweet and accommodating. So I think, I think it, it's really interesting because that's, that's something that I've had people say, about my characters in, in my novels. I mean, not universally, but it's certainly been said. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're writing, you're, you're looking to write flawed characters. And that's, that's who's interesting to write about. Right. Perfect I mean, people I mean, are not interesting people, to write about or to read about. Perfect people are not interesting to read about. And I think a lot of times people, it's sort of a case of not being able to articulate what you want to read or 
you know, right. things you want to read about this like nice, perfect person, but you don't, that would be really boring. And I think a lot of times if somebody says a character is unlikable or flawed to me, that's a character who I view as authentic and real. Right. Um, yes. I mean, like you said, writing complex women, I think, you know, everybody's probably complex <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> right. So, yeah, the I thing think is, um, you never, I love the concept of it and reclaiming it. <clears throat> right. You never see male characters described as like unlikable men. Like, those no are, you know, unlikable no men are just do. regular men. <laughs> exactly. So it's like such a double standard um, in life as well as in art, of course. So uh, our podcast is really just sort of in response to that. And there's a lot of tangents that a person can go on in that vein um we did an episode recently about a story that it had been in the news um a sort of a a bit of a what's the word a male writer had sort of hoodwinked a lot of people and you know part of our conversation was like if a woman writer had behaved in this way she would have been like blacklisted immediately (laughs) so it's really, you know, men and women are treated differently, even in publishing itself. And there's just a lot of good conversations that can come from it. Absolutely. So if that appeals to you, listen to Kristen's podcast, Unlikable Female Characters. Um, What is going to be up next for you? What are you going to be writing next? Any idea? Uh, Yes, I am currently at work on the fourth Roxanne Weary Mystery. Yay! Yep, it will be out next summer, which is very exciting. Uh, does not have a title as of yet, but um, there. I'm so glad we're going to be hearing more from her, though. Yes. That makes me really happy. Yes, I'm really glad that I can put more of her stories out in the world. Uh, where can people go online to learn more about you or to follow you on social media? Sure, you can find my website at kristenlebianca.com, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at kmlwrites. And I don't really use Facebook, so if you look for me there, I've pretty much abandoned it. But (laughs) Twitter and Instagram are the places where I am active. And you can find um, my podcast at unlikablefemalecharacters.com. And we're on um, iTunes and Stitcher and all of the places where people get podcasts. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. And I will see you at Books by the Banks in October. And maybe some of our listeners would like to come see us both there too. Yes, definitely. All right. Good luck with your tour, Kristen. And I can't wait for the next book. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. For funding the Writer in Residence program, you can meet Jessica at various events throughout the year. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writer in residence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. And leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening.